Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish tech news. And now, a word from our sponsor, Agora Pulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish Tech News to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. Hello and welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. And my name is Melanie Boylan. Today I'm joined by Matt Burgess, who is the Deputy Digital Editor at Wired. Thank you for joining us today, Matt. Thank you for having me. Now we've got you here today because of a special book. Um, Could you tell us about the book, Matt? So yeah, over the last few months, I've been working on a Wired book, which is a guide to artificial intelligence and machine learning and how the technology is going to uh, change the world in the next decade. Um, the book really tries to go into quite a few different areas about how AI is being used at the moment, where it's come from and sort of the breakthrough that it's had and really try to also look forward as well to where the technology is going to be used in the coming years and some of the sort of challenges that we're going to have as a society Uh, around the use of AI and it's really based on sort of lots of interviews with experts and and people who are developing AI and building AI at the moment and really trying to get a good steer of what makes the technology work and tick. So why did Wired want to cover this particular area? So Wired is obviously a magazine and a publication that's all about the future and innovation and change. And I don't think that there's any area um, really uh, that has seen much as much growth as artificial intelligence uh, in recent years. So over the last sort of decade or so, we've seen a huge boom in AI and how it's uh, how it's being used within within companies, but also sort of development in academia. And we think that AI is going to be one of the technologies that really does transform the world around us. And to be honest, it it, it already is doing so. So there, there's a lot of artificial intelligence that is already being used in and around our daily lives. So at the most basic level, you've got uh, pretty much all of the products from Google, such as Search and Maps and things like that. They all use AI to some extent to be able to um, sort of serve the results that we get and the products that we use. But then equally beyond that, you've got companies such as Facebook, which is its newsfeed and moderation and a lot of the things that it does using AI already. Uh, and perhaps one of the biggest examples of AI is recommendations on Netflix. So all the time, all the times when you see uh, a new show that's sort of being uh, presented to your Netflix, there is some sort of AI being used behind the scenes in terms of like producing uh, that recommendation specifically for you and people that are like you. So AI is already here and sort of already around us. But um, over the next few years, it is obviously going to change massively and be used a lot more in our lives. So the, I think the real aim of, of this book is to try and get under the skin a little bit of what AI is and how that is actually going to change over, over the coming years. So who is this book targeted for, Matt? 
I think that the book is really targeted for people who might have heard of AI, but don't know too much about it. So um, what we think of AI as at the moment is very much driven by a lot of popular culture. So uh, all the things that we see in uh, movies and TV shows and some of the sort of like uh, the sort of depictions of I don't know, robot butlers or killer machines or, or things like that. That's all very much the sort of like the, the sci-fi glorified version of what AI is. And at the moment, it's sort of like at a, that level of technology is not here and probably won't be here for a very long time. And I think that really one of the things I wanted to try and get across in the book is that while those types of applications could happen and it would be a very long way off, I think, in the future if they did, um, some of the ways that AI is impacting us and is impacting the world around us is actually quite uh, sort of behind the scenes, invisible. The technology is uh, there already impacting our daily lives. And I think that giving people a bit of an understanding of how AI is going to transform things around them, whether it is within the workplace or um, one of the key examples uh, of AI use that people might be familiar with is AI within self-driving cars and that type of technology. So I think that going forward, AI is going to be absolutely huge for all of us, uh, but we might not know much about it. So I think that the more people sort of get a bit of a grip of an understanding of what the technology does and is and can do, um, that can give us a sense of sort of how it will uh, impact us and change our lives going forward. You made a very good um, example there of the futuristic aspects of AI. Do you think that's what leaves some people more wary and more nervous of how AI is impacting us? Definitely. I would say that, um, yeah, there's a lot of sort of our current understanding of AI is, is some of those examples. I already said Terminator side of things. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of um in some cases, fear mongering and sort of like wariness of AI around that aspect. But I think that uh, really sort of from what we've seen at the moment, it is a technology that is a little bit more mundane. That, that's not to say it's not technologically impressive, but the systems that we have at the moment uh, are more operating in the background and sort of under and uh, sort of happening behind the scenes a little bit really so I'd say that sort of like the technology itself for people that aren't that familiar with it um has come from a long line of uh of research so many of the sort of foundational AI algorithms and the way that machine learning which is a branch of AI uh has existed uh, originated sort of 60 70 years ago it's an old field altogether but we've seen a lot of the sort of uh, growth in AI over the last sort of decade or so because the technology is now there for us to do so so uh we've um we've got a lot more data about the world at the moment uh we've got a lot more computing power and some of the algorithms have improved so i'd say that that um fundamental sort of basics around ai um has has improved in the last sort of decade or so because we've now got the technology to make it possible but it's not a mystery in in the respect of we've not seen this for uh this we've not seen AI and known about AI for a long time. So some of the sort of like big examples of AI that people might be familiar with uh, was uh, when Google's DeepMind company um, beat uh, the world champion of the ancient board game Go in sort of 2016. That was one of sort of like the really big sort of hype moments around sort of the use of AI. And beyond that, we've seen a lot of trials uh, and a lot of examples of healthcare, um, healthcare, 
AI being used, where the systems are able to look at um, look at images and, and medical scans and detect sort of um, medical conditions and problems within there. So these are sort of some of the things that are starting to really come beyond that sort of uh, overall sort of fear mongering and scare around AI, because we get, we're getting a bit more of a sense of what the technology can do. So, Matt, um, when it comes down to education and teaching the next generation about AI and machine learning, do you feel there's enough being done to improve that? And, you know, I know we're always focusing on getting women back into tech and that sort of thing, but do you see it as as a gap that's there for both men and women? Definitely. I think that AI is an area of huge growth. And I think within uh, 2020, there's some, there's some recent research by uh, the, um, by the uh, Stanford University, uh, which said the overall sort of investment in 2020 was up to uh, 67 billion US dollars in AI technology. Uh, So that's a huge area of uh, the economy. And that's probably going to start to, uh, or continue to grow, or at least uh, stay around that sort of level for, for quite a while. But I think that as part of that, we need to make Make sure that AI is uh, inclusive and fair uh, for everybody and, and where that really starts is who is building AI. So at the moment, um, research shows that, uh, as, as you pointed out, um, AI is mostly being built by white males uh, within big technology companies and within academia as well. And that's where a lot of the history uh, of AI development has happened. But obviously to create systems that are that work for everybody, we need a lot more people involved in the development, whether that's uh, on any sort of diversity issue, really. The, the systems that we want to see uh, and we want AI to use need to be built by people that have got a diverse set of perspectives and can bring lots of different ideas and thinking to the table. And one area that the book touches upon um, is also within the sort of disability space. We need to make sure that AI is being built to use, uh, to be used and will uh, be able to offer people uh, who are living with disabilities uh, the same sort of opportunities that uh, the technology is being using uh, or can provide for other people. And part of that as well is also making sure that people with disabilities are involved in the uh, in the production and the building of AI. So I think that it's important that across the whole spectrum of where this technology is being built, there is a really wide range of people being involved in it. And at the moment, that's not the case. And technology companies need to do a lot better at this. Um, for for instance, their statistics around diversity are quite poor and quite uh, um, quite scattergun across the entire industry, uh, a very high level, and they don't even break down to sort of levels of uh, diversity within AI teams. Um, so I think that. Th- these companies definitely need to be doing a lot better, but also academia and, and other areas as well. And there are organizations that are obviously trying to get more people involved in um, in AI and the and these and these uh, areas. And I think that it's like hacking, the hackathons, they're quite good at bringing these applications to a younger generations. Do you think that's an, an effective way, even in you know global uh, economies? 
Yeah, I think that it's it's one one part of the bigger picture. Mm. Um, there is, uh, for instance, one organization that's doing some really good work in the US, and I, hope, I think it hopes to expand beyond this, is a group called AI for All. Um, and they've been doing a lot of um, taking AI classes and and um, and sort of teachings to uh, high school students and, and students and universities. Uh, younger students who haven't uh, wouldn't necessarily have this on their curriculum or have the experience within their schools to be able to actually um, be able to um, be able to teach this sort of computer science to people so they've been doing that for a little while and they've got teaching resources that they're trying to translate outside of English language as well to try and really get the most um, people involved but I think one thing I would say as well is that I think when you're looking at it from uh, the, the companies and people that have got resources and uh, have got the ability to uh, broaden the amount of people that are working in AI and technology in general. I think that they managers and and there needs to be some sort of like corporate responsibility, to be honest. Um, so there needs to be targets that companies set themselves uh, and individual managers to make themselves accountable for bringing more people into the organization with diverse perspectives and backgrounds. Uh, and to really be improving upon that, there needs to be sort of quantifiable uh, measures for companies uh, to be able to, to do this and, and sort of like encouragement at an individual level for this to be happening because at the moment it's 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 really not very hit and miss yeah I have to say the more I speak to people Matt that more I'm hearing there's a level of CSR corporate social responsibility um, and, and a level of expectation that we're expecting from everyone um, and I'm noticing that that particular phrase is coming up more and more often. That's interesting. Um, okay, so I'm going to go through some some of the sort of talking points within the book now, um, Matt. So, let, first of all, can you explain what the AI winter is, and can you tell us if it's over? Yeah, so as as I mentioned, um, AI has been around for a very long time. And at the moment, we've only really started to see some of the big progresses because of technology, technological improvement. But over the sort of like 50 years or so, when AI has been being developed, uh, there have been a couple of periods, mostly during the 70s and 80s, uh, which were described as AI winters. So um, there was a some breakthroughs within the technology and companies started to use it a little bit more but then sort of because we didn't have some of the tech that we've got now um the sort of interest in ai faded and went away a little bit so um those particular there was two big ai winters within the 70s and 80s which we've definitely come out of as i said with uh some of the technological breakthroughs recently um but i think that um as we're sort of we're at a stage where we've seen a lot of big breakthroughs recently and AI is starting to be used a lot more in the world. There are some sort of schools of thought within AI researchers that uh, we could be on the cusp of another AI winter, that we might be um, reaching a stage of AI, the current AI that we have has hit its maturity. Um, I don't necessarily think that. I think there is going to be a huge amount of sort of applications within businesses. But to take one example, for instance, self-driving cars, we've been promised them and them them on the roads for, uh, for for the last couple of decades now there's always uh, in a few more years um, we'll get a self-driving car and while sort of like trials and the technology has improved quite a lot it's still a good way off it's still just over the horizon and um, I think one of the key things around the sort of the AI that's used within self-driving cars and some of the systems involved with it is that we've got to a stage of yeah we can get maybe 
90, 95% of the way to a completely autonomous car that can drive around. But those that last five or 10% is even harder to achieve and get across the line than the sort of 90% that's preceded it. Um, and I think that's one of those sort of barriers that uh, AI has got at the moment in terms of uh, that application and rolling out those those vehicles. Um, it's in that last five or 10% when you're getting uh, examples uh, of self-driving cars that are going around um, and not necessarily sort of seeing situations that they've seen before. So I don't know, you might get a self-driving car that is going along the street and a bicycle pulls out in front of it in a different way that it's never seen a bicycle pull out of it in front of it before and it might not be able to recognize that bicycle and these types of uh really sort of like uh low occurrence scenarios are things that make getting that last five or ten percent a lot harder and then you obviously have things around the the policy and, and the ethics of the these systems as well but i think that there is some fears in some levels that ai technology uh is is reaching the current AI the current ai technology we have is reaching a sort of cusp of what it can achieve because a way that a lot of the systems are built at the moment involves throwing more and more data into this into them to train them and to make sure that they learn more and there's only a limit and there are sort of like limits of how much you can throw data at something and it keep improving there might be uh something where we get to a stage of it being uh yeah leveling off so there are fears around that but i think there's still a lot more to come from sort of ai technology at the moment you made a good example there of um a self-driving car potentially hitting a bike in a different way now this is a machine, and I know that there are people that are going to be impacted, if you'll pardon the phrase, by the um, you know the accident happening. But we do have the advantage of taking the data from that incident and putting that into a metaphorical, you know, data dump, so that the next time that that some that particular incident comes up, the machine has learned. Hence, machine learning. Um, but would that be ethical? Because there could be parties there that were injured or potentially killed. Yeah, that's one of the, I think that's one of the big questions that we're going to sort of have to face going forward. So a lot of the um, people working within um, self-driving car technology at the moment um, rightly say that this sort of example that you've had there of, of uh, self-driving cars being able to pull their knowledge and sort of uh, learn from sort of multiple examples so if you have a fleet of cars they can all learn from uh the sort of shared experiences they're having and improve their their knowledge a lot a lot faster i think that that is one thing that's definitely true uh some of the people i spoke to in the book were saying their ai car systems are being sort of updated and trained every single night so the next day uh the car can learn the car knows more than it did the day before but these sort of edge cases and examples where um there may be accidents where people are killed or, or uh, anything like that. I think that these are things that um, have to be taken into account in the models that are being built around AI. So if that sort of thing happens, then there needs to be sort of humans involved in the sort of uh, validation of that and understanding what happened in that example. Because if something like that did happen, you'd want a human to sort of interpret what went wrong, what happened, uh, what could be improved about that before it is fed into a model. So I think that one of the key things about sort of the AI that we have at the moment and how that's 
uh, going to be developed going forward is really sort of how involved humans are in the in the training of the systems and also around decision making. And I think that's that's something that's super important. That technology of this nature doesn't become completely detached from humans, and mm-hmm. there's always people involved with with the systems. It's just interesting that we're we're having this ethical conundrum, and yet somebody who has potentially killed someone or permanently maimed somebody may go to prison okay depending on the case um they'll we take a driving test and then they can get back on the road yeah i think that (laughs) that is that does that does show sort of like yeah some of the the challenges that we're going to have going forward with these machines and it comes back to that um uh, corporate social responsibility point that you raised earlier i think that as we see AI being rolled out more and used more, not just within self-driving cars, um, but also all the sort of areas of public life where uh, people are having sort of like big decisions about them made for or involved or systems involved uh, with them. So for instance, there was the example, it wasn't an AI example, but over the last summer uh, around the pandemic and and A-levels and the uh, sort of exam results that we had sort of in the UK, um, there was an algorithm involved in that and people didn't like the outcome of that that the algorithm was did not provide people with the uh, uh results and exam results that they wanted but on the sort of like corporate social responsibility side of things i think that um while we will see laws around how technology and ai can be used so there'll be laws around how self-driving cars can be used and other types of ai deployments as well um i think that part of this comes back to the companies that are involved in developing it. And I would personally like to see uh, companies be accountable for the systems that they create and produce. So much like other registrate legislation around, uh, for instance, uh, GDPR and, and other sort of privacy legislation, if things go wrong and they can be demonstratively proved that there was somebody at fault, a company at fault, there is the potential for fines. That's something I guess we could see for AI going forward, uh, particularly if there is harm being caused to people. Um, And I think that we're going to start to see over the next year or next couple of years, uh, the first sort of AI legislation really, really coming out. And it will probably cover some of these areas, uh, as as we mentioned. Yeah, you just made a good point, actually. How do we make AI accountable? Is Is there a way we can do that? It's very, it's very difficult at the moment. There are a lot of as with uh, across a lot of areas of AI, there are lots of different sort of like schools of thought around what can be done ethically to make things accountable. Can AI systems be made more explainable? Um, but I think that really when you come back to it, um, you have to be looking a big part of this about who is making the AI, the people and the companies that are deploying the systems, they need to be uh, aware and have incentives to be made accountable for, for the systems that they're producing. So with AI, because it is all trained on data, uh, one of the one of the things that is that is sort of well well known and sort of considered around this is if you put bad data into an AI system, then it will most likely produce bad results. Um, and that, that fun- follows. <laughs> yeah. Fundamentally, that that's that's really on the sort of developers and the creators of the system. And I, and I would argue that sort of regulation and controls should probably include ways that uh, could, as I say, uh, potentially sort of fine or punish people at a high level or companies at a high level that build AI systems that cause harm. And I think that sort of, one of the sort of ways that 
people will make their AI systems more accountable and uh, be sort of like held responsible for this is sort of that public view of what is happening with their system. So I think one of the best, uh, and it's a well-known example, but I think one of the best examples of AI being held accountable is with facial recognition technology and some of the research from uh, MIT's uh, Joy Buluami, who has sort of over the last four or five years, um, produced work around sort of facial recognition and how it can, how that AI technology can accurately, or as was shown, not accurately um, identify people um, based on their sort of, uh, based on on the, on the on their skin color. Um, so the research uh, Gender Shades from, from Joy audited the performance of uh, facial recognition systems from IBM, Microsoft, and uh, Chinese firm Face++ a few years ago. Um, and that showed that the systems were worse at recognizing people with darker skin than they were at recognizing those with lighter skin. And when uh, gender was added to it as well, the performance decreased even more. Um, but what? But while we now know that those systems are uh, can be sort of discriminatory in the way that they're trained and and learn, uh, I think one of the really interesting things is the sort of follow up research from Joy and her colleagues a, a year or so afterwards. They looked at the systems again, and because of the sort of all the publicity around uh, these these systems not working and the audit that uh, Joy and, and her team did, uh, a couple of years later the systems had improved dramatically so they went from sort of like uh some of them were sort of 34 percent better at detecting darker skin males uh sorry light skin males than they were at detecting darker skin females um within a couple of years because of the sort of scrutiny and the auditing of this system the percentage points where they were different had had um had drastically sort of come into come into balance so i think that those types of audits need to be uh, crucial for sort of holding the people that are uh, creating ai to account um who should be doing those audits is another question mm-hmm. uh, with the work that joy was doing at mit that was obviously very academic led there are arguments and i think we will see sort of regulators and uh governing bodies or new or potentially new bodies uh, being responsible for auditing systems. But I think that auditing systems is going to be crucial going forward and sort of consistently auditing systems. So you can't just audit something before it's deployed or while it's being built, it needs to be audited before it at the very beginning when you're looking at the data that's going into this and how it's going to work you have to audit it as the training is being done and sort of the results that produce but also if you're putting this out there in the real world uh, a few months after it's being used, you have to look at the system again and seeing how that's changed and audit it. And it's a continual process of, of looking at these things really, I think, but that's, that's one way of holding uh, AI to account. I think um, there are obviously other proposals and ideas out there, but that's one that seems to come through quite strongly from the people that I've spoken to. Mm. Now in the book, um, there was outlined um, some certain concerns that three very prominent characters um, may have had um, in terms of risks associated with AI, namely Elon Musk, Bill Gates and Stephen Hawkins. Can you outline what those concerns are? Yeah, so there's been a lot of uh, concerns from uh, some very high uh highly prominent figures within uh, the world of technology and AI about uh, automated systems and the risks and the harms that they they can cause. And I think as we were talking about a little bit earlier on, um, some of these um, discussions get blown a little bit out of proportion in terms of uh, what they will be created and um, 
that is one of the things that, yeah, we need to keep an eye on. But I think that there are lots of sort of like societal concerns um, around the use of AI at the moment that we need to address. So while these ideas of sort of AI systems uh, becoming sentient and taking over the world, um, like there is some sort of, uh, some sort of uh, obviously thinking behind this and some sort of potential for that to happen. But where we're at the moment, AI is very narrow and very focused on pretty specific domains and not very general. So um, while it is very good that people are researching and looking at these types of things, uh, big potential harms going forward, I think that those type of concerns, yes, need to be addressed, but also we need to look at what how, what and how AI is going to be used in the coming uh, years and months. And so within the book, I talk a little bit about uh, a few areas that we we see um, potential harm could happen. So, uh, and in many cases, there has already been sort of use of automation or AI technology that has had an impact on these, but everything from sort of housing, finance, hiring, governments or welfare and services, policing, healthcare, all of these areas are big areas where AI could make a difference very, very soon in the, in the, in the horizon. And we need to make sure that AI is really being um, sort of controlled, limited, uh, restricted in some cases, potentially, uh, to make sure that it's being used in a sort of fair and, and ethical way for everybody. Um, so I think one of the big concerns that researchers have about the very near-term impact of AI is its potential for um, amplifying sort of social prejudices, prejudices and inequalities that sort of already exist in society. Um, so a lot of that comes back to sort of the data that goes into systems. But I think one of the key things when we're building AI systems is really that sort of, um, I think it's sort of, it was in Jurassic Park, um, the, the suggestion of the scientists uh, not necessarily thinking whether they should just because they could build something and, and recreate dinosaurs, whether they should. And I think that's, to be honest, like that's a, obviously a very uh, sort of anecdotal example, but I think that sort of thinking needs to be had by people creating AI systems as well. Like, why are we creating an AI system? What is it meant to do? How will it work? Uh, how will it be accurate? And how can we prove all of these things um, are worth it really. Um, so will an AI create and be able to do something better than what we can do at the moment? That's that's a big question that I think anybody who's making a system needs to, needs to consider, particularly when you're looking at areas that people can be sort of discriminated against or having their sort of liberties in, and human rights impacted. Uh, if you've got a bad Netflix recommendation or something like that, uh, I don't think people are going to be too bothered by that. But when you're talking about areas around things that pe restrict people's liberties or human rights, I think that that's one of the areas where we're really going to have to sort of like uh, a lot of work needs to be done to make sure AI systems are being used proportionally before they're rolled out. You made a good example there, um of Jurassic Park. I'm going to pose another one for you here. Um, Star Trek, The Voyage Home. And you you reminded me of it when you said creator. And I, that's why I smiled when you said creator, because the creator would not respond um, because there was nobody left on the planet who knew how to respond <laughs> to Vija. So is this something that can actually happen? Do you think, we, are we ever going to be able to sort of make all these advancements and you know keep ahead of them and be able to respond if something comes back at a, at a later stage i think it's something that we can really get 
on top of uh, at this stage because the AI that we have at the moment is very narrow. So it's um, really going to be used for lots of sort of uh, small use cases. So for instance, if companies were using image recognition systems to identify objects uh, within a photo, that's, that's quite controlled. AI can do that very well. And all of these areas that AI is excelling in at the moment, particularly around sort of computer vision applications, which is all about sort of uh, cameras and machines and understanding images, and also the area of natural language processing, where it's talking where we're looking at text and manipulating text or understanding text. These are really quite specific areas. So the AI that we have at the moment, if you've got an AI that is uh, being trialed to detect uh, cancer within a medical image, that can't go away and drive a car. That can't go away and do anything really other than what it was designed for. And that's sort of very controlled and very um, sort of uh, restricted at the second in, in the use case. So I think that... Um, until we get, we're not going to get to a stage where we've got AIs doing multiple things for, for quite a while, because it's really tricky to make an AI that is general and can be applied across lots of different areas. Um, so I think that to get there is going to be quite a step. So I think <laughs> that like we can, we really can control a lot of these things at the time being, because they're being used so specifically. I think that because there is research looking into how AI could be misused or, or may, um, may sort of um, go, I don't want to say go rogue, but it is sort of that idea um, in the future, then I think that that is one of the areas that we will be able to have, get a bit of a grip on at the moment because it is so specific and, and limited at the, right now. Oh, that was a great response. Um, I was I was really keen to ask that question. I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan, sorry. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. This has been really incredible, um, and I, c I can see how this is going to be really beneficial to people who are a little afraid of of the concept of AI and especially machine learning as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see this hopefully um, going as well as, as, I, as I would hope it would, to be honest. Um, so thank you so much for your time. And we will get back to you, hopefully, when you've got your next book out. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE and on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.